Do you ever wonder what the future holds for you and your family? Do you get nostalgic about the past? Have you slouched into thinking the good old days are as good as it's ever going to get? As long as we remain faithful to the Lord, the best days are always ahead of us. The God of Israel assured his chosen people of this when they were tempted by disappointment after seeing plans to rebuild Solomon's glorious temple. The second temple was smaller than the first. That's when the Lord declared, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Set your sights on the latter glory. Now is the time to believe God for greater things. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. Let me ask you, what are your priorities in life? The top five or six things that are especially important to you. Coming your way next, Dr. Ron Jones tells us what God says our priorities should be on today's edition of Something Good. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Today, Ron takes us once again to the book of Haggai, when God sends the prophet to Israel to help put their priorities back in order. His message was relevant then, and it's still relevant now. Stay right here as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, or look for us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Haggai, time to build for God's glory. We pick it up in verse nine of chapter one. The Lord says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. I mean, how much more direct can you get? Therefore, listen to this, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its, its produce. God will mess with your economy, your personal economy, child of God. It just won't work out. You can't make ends meet. You have more month than you have money. You're working like a slave out there, just three jobs, but you just can't. And then you learn to set your financial priorities in a biblical direction. And, and God can stretch 90% or 85%, whatever your giving is, farther than you can stretch 100%. I got 30 years of experience in this. I really do. You cannot outgive God. God's economy doesn't operate like man's economy. Man's economy is buy and sell. Buy low, sell high. Nothing wrong with that. Every business person understands that. You buy low, you sell high. God's economy is give. You want to activate God's economy. Jesus says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The measure with which you give is the measure with which it will be return to you. I learned some of these principles early on in my ministry from, uh, if you can believe it, a single mom in my church, first church I served. She was passionate about tithing. She didn't have two nickels to rub together. She might as, been, might as well have been the widow that Jesus talked about, you know, in the Gospels, who came with her two lepta, put them in the offering plate, gave more, Jesus said, than all the rich who came in with their, their fancy giving, did this or did that. 
I'm, I'm just saying from Haggai, um, it's, it's maybe time in some of your lives, as it was in mine many years ago, to reorder your financial priorities in a Godward direction. And I'm impressed as I read on in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and learn how the people during Haggai's time responded to the Lord's rebuke. It tells us that Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people swiftly obeyed God. I love to read that in there. You know, sometimes when the Lord rebukes you about a certain area of your life that is not rightly related to him, in this case the finances, we get defensive. You know, we say, oh, you know, we're out of here, and there go those preachers again talking about money, you know, and I'm going to go someplace else. No, in this case, uh, and and I hope in your case, they had humble hearts, and they said, you know, you're right, Haggai. We have misplaced our financial priorities. And they rearranged them, and they got to the Lord's business and rebuilt the temple. 16 years later, albeit, but, you know, now they were back in business again. That's, that's the first of four sermons that Haggai preaches. A few months after construction of the temple resumed, Haggai delivered his second sermon, and this is found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Now, according to Ezra chapter 4, and uh, chapters 4 through 6, opposing forces continued to nag the Jews, uh, making the construction project even more difficult. And for sure, the memory of those who had voiced their disappointment over Zerubbabel's smaller temple, you know, Solomon's was more glorious, uh, that weighed heavy on the uh, leadership's heart. That was always difficult, the naysayers over there. Thus the Lord brought an encouraging word through his prophet Haggai uh, to the leaders and to the people who were engaged in and re-engaged in the construction project. Chapter 2, verse 4, Be strong, all you people of the land declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. What a a great verse of scripture. What a great word of encouragement uh, the Lord brings to the people. Yes, they might have had fewer resources to work with than the glory days of Solomon, uh, fewer people, fewer resources, but God was with them and he promised to multiply their efforts. He goes on to declare how he will shake the nations, the pagan nations, in such a way that their treasures will come in and fill this house with glory. I love this part of chapter 2. You know, God never has a money problem. You want to know why? Chapter 2 and verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God never has a money problem because it all belongs to him. Reminds me of somebody who taught me years ago, all money is tainted. Taint yours and it taint mine. Come on now, a little bit more laughter on that. Just trying to make lighthearted on this. Taint yours and it taint mine. (laughs) Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8 is one of those great, we call them stewardship, biblical stewardship verses. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. You either have an ownership mentality or a stewardship mentality. Either say, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Get your paws off it. When somebody even suggests being generous with what you have. I was talking to a guy the other day that has 
four million miles, or points rather, on uh, an airline. I said, oh, you ought to give some of those away. <laughs> an ownership mentality or a stewardship mentality that says, none of it's mine. It belongs to the Lord. I am a manager and a steward of what God has given to me. The Lord goes on in chapter 2 and verse 9 to say, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. A little shot across the bow to those uh, Solomonites, you know, who thought that Zerubbabel's temple wouldn't be as glorious as Solomon's. He says, no, uh, the latter glory shall be greater than the former glory. In other words, the best days for Israel are in the future, not in the past. You know, those people who sing the song about the good old days in the past just ain't going to get any better than that. You're wrong. You're wrong. When God is in it, the latter glory is greater than the former glory. That's true for His work and His church. Listen, the best days at this church, this 40-year-old church, are not behind us. They're ahead of us. I hope you're believing God for greater things, not only in our church, but in your life as well. The writer of Hebrews had Haggai in mind when he said in chapter 12, that great hall of faith chapter, or that chapter following the great hall of faith chapter, chapter 12, verses 27 and 26 and 27, he says, at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Years ago, God had to shake up my life a little bit uh, to get my, my personal finances ordered in a Godward direction. Uh, sometimes God has to shake up our lives. Sometimes God has to shake up a church and uh, do some things that we don't expect him to do. Is God shaking up some things in your life right now and in your ministry? Well, the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. Haggai's reference to the latter glory, just to be uh, thorough about this, also winks at our bodies becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Something Good Radio is a 100% listener-supported ministry. We depend on your prayers and financial support to help Ron share the gospel of Jesus Christ through this media ministry. When you give this month, we want to say thank you with a brand new resource from the ministry of Dr. Ron Jones, an ebook that goes along with his current series titled Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The fifth of eight ebooks in the series is based on the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, Hosea through Malachi, and it's our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Haggai, time to build for God's glory. You see, in the Old Testament, God dwelled in a temple made by human hands. First, it was Solomon's temple. What a glorious temple it was. It got destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. 
Then Zerubbabel builds well, a smaller but still glorious temple. Herod came along in the first century and expanded the Temple Mount. Wow, Herod, uh, although he was a despot, uh, he was quite a builder. You can go to Israel and see all kinds of Herodian building projects. And then by 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed the temple again. But Pentecost had happened years before that. And how did Pentecost change things? Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. Why? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not dwelling in a temple made by human hands. He's dwelling in us as believers in Jesus Christ. How glorious is that? And then furthermore, you go all the way to the end of the age. And in Bible prophecy, it tells us that at the end of the age, the Jews in Jerusalem will rebuild the glorious temple again. And when Jesus Christ comes, when he returns, he will come in great glory to defeat his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon, and then he will sit on David's throne in that temple and rule and reign with the authority of heaven and earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Wow, that's a lot of Bible prophecy to work into that. But all of that is in view when we talk about the latter glory being greater than the former glory. Haggai's third sermon challenges uh, the people then to pursue personal purity. Beginning in chapter 2 and verse 10, he reaches into the law of Moses for a lesson in what defiles a person. It says in verse 13, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, well, it does become unclean. He knew the law of Moses well. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Why does Haggai go in this direction with the third sermon? It seems out of step with the, the other two sermons, but what had happened with these returning exiles, the less than 50,000 that came back to Jerusalem, over these 16 years, they had not only misplaced their financial priorities, but they had, had, had drifted back into idolatry and immorality. They hadn't learned the lessons of uh, 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And though God was ready and willing to bless the Jews after they reprioritized their finances and completed the temple, he tells them that the olive tree would not yield its fruit if they continued living unholy lives. In other words, Haggai says to them, it's not just about prioritizing your, your, your finances. This is a time to scan through the totality of your life and, and let God reveal any area of your life that is not rightly related to him. And uh, then he will bless you. Maybe wonder if uh, our finances are not in right order with God. It might be an indication that other areas are not right either. And Haggai knew that. The Lord knew that. He got their attention with the finances, but went even several steps further to clean up the rest of their life. Haggai concludes with a sermon at the end of chapter 2 that is directed to the leadership and particularly to Zerubbabel. He was now the governor. He was the leader of the returning exiles. And it says in verses 20 through 23 that God would make Zerubbabel like a signet 
ring. Now, in ancient times, kings would have a, a signet ring. as uh, the way they signed documents, and that signet ring was a sign of the king's absolute authority. Zerubbabel stood in that place for the Lord at this time. He was God's chosen servant. He was also a representative of the Davidic line and the Messianic line and a picture of the future Christ. Now we're talking about the Christ connection in Zechariah and this picture that takes us all the way to the end of the age. Uh, God also refers to the day when he will shake the earth with his, his, his uh, uh, chosen signet, who is the Christ who is to come. Uh, we can say without a doubt that when Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, it shook the foundations of this earth. In fact, the Bible tells us in the Gospels that when he was on the cross, an earthquake took place. I mean, this, this is a, a, the most monumental event in human history is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even that's not the ultimate shaking of the earth. When he returns to this earth at the end of the age, he will shake the nations. And then, as I said earlier, he will rule and reign from David's throne in Jerusalem with absolute authority over the earth for 1,000 years before the new heaven and the new earth. How's that for some Bible prophecy this morning? The question is, between now and then, how do we live? Or to ask the question the other way, what is the bigger yes burning inside of you that burns enough to say, okay, <laughs> the time is now to do what God tells me to do, to put God first in your finances, to obey him speedily, to believe God for greater things, to purify every area of your life so that the latter glory is greater than the former glory. Hey, guys, good stuff, isn't it? Man, I'm so glad God put this elderly prophet that had a short duration in his ministry right here in our Bibles to encourage us. The time is now. The time is always now for matters of salvation. There's always a sense of urgency there. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And if you need to come to the cross of Christ today and put your faith and trust in him, don't hesitate. The time is now. Child of God, believer in Jesus Christ, disciple of Jesus, you who are on the front row saying, Jesus is my all, and my number one, now is the time to reprioritize every area of your life, including, yes, your finances, under the lordship and the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. Nothing says, God, you are number one in my life and I'm trusting you, like tithing. Just, you can't be materialistic and tithe because you're giving away the first 10%. Uh, the Lord even tells us in Malachi, we'll look at him in a couple weeks. Well, in Haggai, he says, because of your misplaced priorities, heaven has withheld its due. All right? In Malachi, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, still dealing with their misplaced priorities. Bring the whole tithe, the full 10% into the Lord's storehouse and test me now in this. He says, if you can't trust me, 
in your financial life. Just put me to the test and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you. All right? So Haggai, Malachi, come at these misplaced financial priorities in a slightly different way. God will always bring us back to those areas of our life where we've said, ah, no, no, no I'm not going to go that far with it. And now is the time. Now is the time, friends, to get your financial house in order. And you'll be blessed because of it. I've never met anybody who gave a tithe of their income to the Lord as a starting point in their giving, who regretted it. In fact, I was talking to people in between services who told me stories of how God has shown himself faithful in, over the years of their life because they put him first there. Now is the time to do that. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Haggai, Time to Build for God's Glory. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, when we consider the vast amount of space God devotes in His Word, talking about money management, around four times as many verses as there are verses on prayer, well, it tells you just how seriously He takes the subject and how badly we need to hear it. So as we wrap up today's edition of Something Good, do you have anything you'd like to add on the subject of tithes and offerings or on money management in general? I do, Brian, and I hope what I'm about to say doesn't sound judgmental or condemning because that is certainly not my intent. It is simply my duty as a pastor to pass along the Word of God and uh, encourage people to apply His instruction in everyday life, including our finances. Now, all throughout Scripture, in the book of Malachi and uh, many other passages, God talks about the blessing that comes to all those who honor Him with their tithes and offerings. Uh, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, he says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God also invites us to test him on this point. That's how serious he is. And then, of course, uh, we, we see in the book of Haggai that God withholds blessing when we fail to honor him with our tithes and offerings. Now, very often we um, drop the ball in this area because our budgets are tight. Uh, that's the reason most people give for not tithing. They say, I can't afford to do this. So let me simply ask a question to those who are listening who may be going through some financial difficulties. Have you shifted your financial priorities because things are going badly? Or are things going badly because you shifted your financial priorities? I'm convinced, Brian, absolutely convinced that we can't afford not to tithe. Now, quickly now, let me add one final thought. Uh, this is not strictly about money management. It's about a lifestyle, and it's about a mindset. Our children are not our own. They belong to God. Our property, our money, our very lives, they are not our own. They belong to God. And what God is after is a shift in our thinking from ownership to stewardship in every area of life. When we, at long last, realize that we are stewards of what belongs to God rather than owners of what we think belongs to us, I believe we'll experience a profound breakthrough, not only in the area of personal finance, but in every area of our lives. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from today's message, Haggai, Time to Build for God's Glory. 
Ron, let's turn our attention to our next stop on our road trip through the Bible. Tell us where you're headed next time as you move ahead in your current teaching series. Well, Brian, for the past couple of days, we've talked about how God spoke to the Israelites through the prophet Haggai. He basically said, if you don't get your financial priorities in order, I'm going to put a hole in your pocket and mess with your personal economy. Now, here comes Zechariah, our next stop along the ultimate road trip through the Bible, and he comes to address the same problem, but he attacks it in a different way. Uh, God's message through Haggai was primarily about the here and now. His message from Zechariah focuses more about, well, promises that will come to pass in the future. Uh, These are great and glorious promises, Brian, and they apply to all of us who are in Christ today. And that's where I'm headed next time as I continue my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. That's tomorrow in Dr. Ron Jones' message, Zachariah, Yahweh Remembers. Join us then for Something Good. Now for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.